establish why he has the authority to speak. And he says, I, Paul, have the authority to speak into your life is because God called me to be an apostle. Uh, if you remember uh, in the book of Acts, after Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus, there was a, there was a spot missing. Uh, so in the book of Acts, you, you know that the story where the apostles got together and says, we must choose someone who is going to replace Judas. And they, they, they did that, that weird casting of lots. They, they rolled the dice and, to see which one was going to be the apostle. And we find that Matthias was the one that was chosen. But God told them to wait. And what we, what we find is that the, the apostle Paul, then Saul, was on his way to persecute the church at the way to Damascus. He was there to brutally uh, uh, destroy the church. And God shone a bright light and a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. God called Paul to be his apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was not one who was chosen by his own will, but by the will of God. So Paul called by the will of God. This calling that, Paul does, that God does to Paul to be his apostle is the same calling that God does for all believers. Anyone who, is, who, is, uh, who comes, becomes a Christian, it is God's call to us that draws us to himself. It's the same word we heard this morning, that, that we love God because he first loved us. We know he first loved us in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to live and to die upon the cross, to be raised from the dead, to ascend to glory. And what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit into our lives. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. So when we hear the word of God proclaimed, our heart says, what must I do to be saved? We call upon the Lord. So we notice here in that first verse, just for a word of note, it says that Paul is writing with his brother Sosthenes. We don't know much about the name Sosthenes. It was a popular name in, in, in the time, a Greek name. We know that Sosthenes is mentioned in um, Acts 18. And Sosthenes probably could have been the synagogue ruler who was, who was stoned along with, with Paul. Um, we don't know if it's the same man or not. But either way, this is probably Paul's amanuensis. He's the one who probably wrote down the words that Paul uh, dictated. Verse 2, it says, to the church of God. That is in Corinth. So notice that all, uh, mostly every letter that's in the New Testament is written to a church. Minus the, the, the pastoral epistles uh, and the book of Hebrews. We don't exactly know where that book was uh, were written. Probably one that was circulated. But almost every letter that we have in the New Testament was written to a church. To a people. A church in, in Corinth. This is the church who? The church of God that is in Corinth. So if I was going to write a letter, I would write a letter to the church of God at Park Baptist Church, the specific church that was here. Now, in this day, they didn't have many different denominations, many different churches in a given area. They had one church, the church at Corinth. Now, listen to how this church that has been called by God is defined. The church to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We think about this idea of sanctified as those who are set apart, who are called holy. Before we are in Christ, we are of the world. And we have to be sanctified. 
We have to be made holy. We have to be set apart. This is exactly what the word is. So when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ, you are no longer primarily looked at by God as a sinner. You are primarily looked at God as a saint. You have been set apart. So God will always see you through the lens, through the, through the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although we still sin, in God's eyes, you are sanctified, holy, righteous. And notice it's past tense. To those who are sanctified. The way the Bible talks about sanctification is that we are sanctified, we are being sanctified, and we will be sanctified. Same idea of salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, and ultimately we will be saved. That's very important, especially when you start thinking about the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth has a whole bunch of problems. <laughs> a whole bunch of problems. That's the macro view. Think about our own personal lives. I'm sure those of us here would say we have our whole bunch of problems. If you looked at my own life and my own thoughts, you would sometimes say, man, Pastor Dave has got a whole bunch of problems. But you know what? Regardless of how many problems I have in my life, I am sanctified. I have been declared holy in God's sight. Not because of anything that I have done, but because God has done for me through Jesus Christ. By the working of the Holy Spirit, he has cleansed me ultimately, and he will continue to cleanse me until that day when I am ultimately clean in God's presence. You see how beautiful that is? Understanding what that word is in the past tense, that you are holy, is a powerful thing. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and we see this word, called, right? God is called, calling you, called to be saints. Same word, same root word, santos. Hagias in the Greek, Santos in Latin, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Lord, your Lord, their Lord and ours. So there's just a couple of identifying marks that you see among Christians. One, you see Christians gathering together. If you, if you heard Bobby when he read 1 John 4 today, one of the marks of a Christian is that you regularly gather with the saints. You can't say that you love God and do not love the saints. If you say that you love God, but you don't live your life in love for the saints, the Bible, the Bible would say you don't love God. And I think when we see in our culture how they're trying to redefine the church, they're trying to redefine the church separate from the gathering of the saints. Where in our day, you can have church at home in your pajamas watching television. Well, you may be able to learn watching a sermon online, watching a, a podcast, listening to a podcast. You may be able to learn that way, but that's not the church. The church, by definition, is the called out one. It is the ecclesia or the assembly together. You see the word there? Who are called to be saints together. The picture of the church present day is ultimately the picture of the church in the future. So when we gather, we are a little microcosm. We are a picture of the, the heavenly gather in, uh, that is going, going to come. This is why our gathering should be multi-ethnic, why our, our, our gathering should be multi-generational, and why our, our gathering should be multi-socioeconomic. We should be full of all different kinds of people. Why? It's because when we come together, we say, Jesus Christ is more important than my ethnic identity. 
Jesus Christ is more important than my socioeconomic identity. Jesus is more important than my political affiliation. Jesus is supreme. We're going to come together and declare that. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, that is exactly what we do. So tomorrow, when we, or next Sunday, when we gather around the table, what we are going to declare is that Jesus Christ is the primary thing in our life. So number one, I think we are the saints together. We see it right there. Number two, it's those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A church, by definition, should be Christ-centered. It should be gospel-centered. There's a lot of churches today who do a lot of good for our community. Right? There's a lot of churches who do a lot of good for our community. We want to say praise God for, for the good that they're doing in our community. But if they are not gospel-centered, Christ-centered churches, they are not true churches. Because anybody can do good for a community. Any group of people can do good for our community. You get a group of bikers together who say, you know what, we are going to bike the community of Rock Hill, and every time we see trash, we're going to pick it up. We're going to clean up Rock Hill one bike ride at a time. Is that a good thing? Yeah, who wants to join me? I'm just kidding, right? That's a good thing. They want to clean up the city. But listen, anybody can do that. The only way that the city is ultimately going to become clean is through the gospel preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those need to be sanctified, not externally, but internally from the heart. And it only comes through the gospel message. We can, we can do many good things, but we always have to prioritize the gospel preaching. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptizing in the name of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. How do we do that? We proclaim the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. That's what we do. And if we as a church are not gathering together and not scattering preaching the gospel, then we're not a true church. Do not let the world redefine what the church is and what the church does. And also notice is that, that we are connected with churches that gather all over the world. It says that all who call upon the name of the Lord in every place, both their Lord and ours. Think about how beautiful this is. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are praising God in Africa today. There are brothers and sisters praising God in India, in Ukraine, in Russia, in Europe, in Spain, in Canada, in California, in, in Honduras, in Guatemala, in Chile. Right now, and we are together with them. Why? Because we have the same Lord. That is awesome. And when the whole world is, is rejoicing in God now, in part, there is a, there's a proclamation. We're even going to see that proclamation as we work through the minor prophets of Babcook 2.14, that the glory of the Lord will fill the entire earth. It's when we come together to worship God. So the saints are together. They call upon the name of the Lord, and they are together through all of the churches throughout the world. Park Baptist Church does not own truth. We are not the only church that preaches the gospel in Rock Hill, in South Carolina, in York County. We pray that we are one of many. And we need more churches. There are more, if all the lost people in Rock Hill wanted to go to church. We could fit a lot of them here, right? We got a lot of brown, brown seats, right? Come on, we got plenty of room for you. 
But if all the people in Rock Hill came to Christ, we wouldn't have enough room. In our church, how we do church, the style of our church, the length of our messages, are not going to be a draw to every person. There's all sorts of different kinds of people. So there needs to be different kinds of churches. Churches that do what? That gather together, that preach the gospel, uh, that, that call upon the name of the Lord, that hold true to the scriptures. True churches, but may look differently. Some people may not like big churches. Some people may not like small churches. We need all different kinds of churches, all different kinds of true churches. And we need more of them. We want to help churches all over our, our country. And I'm so, so encouraged during our Thanksgiving offering, uh, Thanksgiving service, the joint service we did with Northside and Remedy, we took an offering for Beacon Hill Community Church in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And I got, a, I got a letter from the pastor there just saying how encouraging it was for, for them to know that they're not alone. This church that's, that's a year old in Boston, which according to uh, standards is unreached. Less than 2% of the city of Boston is, are believers. That's in the United States of America. Less than 2%. And this, young, this brother, uh, Dane Hestling, is laboring for the Lord there. And he says, thank you, Park Baptist Church, for partnering in the gospel there. Because they're part of us, aren't they? Because they're calling upon the name, the name of the Lord in Boston, and we're along with them. Right? We want to continue to do that. So number one, uh, the church is called by God. Number two, the church is sustained by God. The church is sustained by God. Look at verse 4. You, before we go there, just, just know that when Paul opens his letters, these are really a typical greeting of the day. Usually when, when someone would write a letter, they would identify their name, the author, who it's, it's being written to. Uh, they would identify a brief time of, of, of greeting, a time of thanksgiving, and then they would get into the bulk of the letter. We do that today, don't we? Right? We have a, the name, dear so-and-so. We write the body of the letter, but usually we have a, a brief introductory comment. We're in the South, so you can't just get into things. You've got to first... You know, gradually be nice and have a few pleasantries before you ask your real question, which would be the body of the letter, and then you sign your name at the end. Okay, so this is just the basic structure of, of the day. I'm from the north, and I don't mind, you know, I love the south. I wasn't taking a shot. Lindsay, I love the south. Sorry. Number four, number verse four. Um, the Bible says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Notice that the present and past tense here. Paul is saying, listen, I thank God always for you, for what God is doing in your midst. So in Paul's life, Paul thought it was necessary to pray for other churches. So do you know, do you know that we pray for other churches every single Sunday? We, we do that regularly and we will continue to do that. Why? It's because we want to be part of God's work in the nations. So when we prayed for Northside Baptist Church today, I'm going to call Scott tomorrow, and I'm going to say, hey, Scott, how was your services? You know, how, how are your services at Northside? He's going to tell me how, how they were. And I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be able to, we're going to be able to partner with that ministry, right? So if God allows Northside Baptist Church to grow, and by, by God's grace, their church is growing. They, they probably had 40 new members last year. They had a budget surplus, so they, they, they took in more money than they, uh, than they spent, and part of that is because of the prayers of the saints here at Park Baptist Church. So we want churches to have success. You know, we want, we want all churches who are preaching the gospel to have success. Paul prayed for other churches. I give thanks to my God always for you. Uh, remember, praise always goes to God. 
Because God is the one who causes growth. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You see this again. This, this grace that was given. Everything that we have is a gift from God's hand. The, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear, the money in our, in our bank account, our hair, our, our friends, our family, all that we have is a gift from God's hand. So if God gives, God can choose to take away. Now, we, we prefer God to give, don't we? <laughs> Giving is much better than, than God taking away. But if God knows us best, God knows exactly what we need, like a good father would, would, would give certain things to their children and take certain things away for their, for their benefit, we can trust our God. And God gives us grace, and that grace is ultimately seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who came out of glory and became a man and lived that perfect life and yet died on the cross as a as one who was condemned, a sinner, even though he was perfectly righteous. He was dead and buried. When you share the gospel with others, how often do we skip the, the second half of the gospel? And we, we say that Jesus Christ died for my sins. But no, what happened after Jesus died? He was buried. His body was buried and laid in the ground for three days. And then his body was raised from the dead. Make sure we get the whole picture in there. Why? It's because one day our bodies are going to be buried. And one day our bodies are going to be raised from the dead. That is the promise of the gospel. It was given you in Christ Jesus, verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now, I think here there's one of two ways you can read this. I think that you can read this both personally, and I think it's in American context, that's the way we probably read it, right? We are, very, we are an individualistic society. It's all about the individual. So you can read this, right, that in every way you, individual, were rich in him with all speech and all knowledge. I don't think that's the way the text reads. Because remember, when we approach the Bible, we have to understand who was it written to, in the original audience. The original audience was, was not an individual, individualistic society, but it was a communal society. So they wouldn't have thought what this means for me. They would always think what this means for the community. That we as a community are enriched in all speech and all knowledge. So God has given us, the, the church, everything that we need to accomplish his mission. That doesn't mean that God has given you individually everything that you need to accomplish uh, in, in, for the mission of God, but he's given us the, the community. Right? So we are just one member of the body of Christ. We may be a, a hand. We may be a foot. We may be the mouthpiece. We may be the neck. We may be the, the knee. Whatever we are, we are one part of the entire body that God has given us everything that we need as a body. This is why I say that when God brings people to our church, right, for membership, it is God's way of saying, you need something else. I'm going to call someone out here to your body because I'm the one who gives good gifts to his church. So our job is to be faithful, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. It is God's job to win them. Because God is the one who calls people to himself. He calls through us, doesn't he? He uses our voices, our words, our proclamation of the gospel. He speaks through us to, to tug and to, 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 to draw into what the text said this morning. To lure by his kindness. To trust him. Verse 6. 
This is even as the testimony of our Christ was confirmed among you. So in our day, when someone wants to join the church, what do they typically do? So, okay, I want to join a church. I'm going to walk the aisle and I'm going to present myself for membership. And they say, listen, I want to join the church. Well, typically, in the New Testament, what they're saying is that your testimony of what you believe about in Christ has to be confirmed. That means you have to be baptized. You have to publicly declare that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anybody can say anything. I mean, just in Rock Hill, how many scams are going on? Just, just what, back in, that was in the fall, Miss Helen? We had, a, we had that, that, that scamming ring where someone would call an elderly uh, person. They would say, I'm your grandson in jail. Please send me money. And they would say, oh, no, you're my grandson. You're in jail. Let me go get my checkbook. But you know, you, you got you to wire it at Western Union. I'll be right there, sweetie. I don't want you to be in jail. Right? Um, or they, they fake an accident. They ask you to be the IRS. Right? There's scams happening every time. So when people try to, try to scam you, what, you, what do you do? You ask questions. You try to confirm what they're saying is true. It's the same thing with the church. We want to get people, are they really believers? Is the testimony confirmed? Do you love the saints? Are you gathering with the saints? Have you repented of your sins and trusting in Christ? We're not trying to, to, to be a microscope looking at the lives of your sins. We just want to know generally, do you love God? Because if we tell people that they're, that they're safe, that they're safe from eternal harm, and they're not, we're, we, we will be held accountable for that. You know, I've been reading a lot of the Puritans lately for my classes. My, uh, my dissertation may be on a Puritan named John Flavel. And I've been reading a lot of his sermons, and, and he talks often about hell. And he doesn't talk often about hell of, of a, trying to rub it in people's faces, but he talks about it with this compassion, not wanting anyone to go there. There's a confirmation that Jesus Christ is real. And the church at Corinth was confirmed by their lives, by their words, that they trusted in Christ. Verse 7. Since you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will, what, sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever feel weak in your faith? So weak that you just kind of want to pack it in. What it says here is that God will sustain you. That the good work that God began in you, God will complete. This is why I think it's so important when we get the, we get the understanding of who, who called us. Because if God called us, God will complete us. God is sustaining you right now. He sustains us numerous ways. He sustains you with the fellowship of friends. By encouragement that you get from the body of Christ. He sustains us through singing God's praises. I can't tell you how many times I have entered the service of the saints here at our church weak. Spiritually and physically weak. And then we sing. And something happens. There's, there's, a, there's a sustaining that comes to our hearts to press on. To press on until the day of our Lord. Well, the church is called by God. The church is sustained by God. And the church is completed by God. Look at verse 9. 
God's word says, God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When the Bible speaks of salvation, it primarily speaks about being united with Christ. It primarily doesn't mean being um, you know, walking an aisle, making a decision, even joining the church. What, what the Bible says salvation happens, it's that you are being united with Christ. This is the picture of, of God being our husband and us being his bride. We looked at that in Hosea, right? You know, Hosea pursued Gomer, an unfaithful bride, and made them one. God pursued unfaithful Israel and made them one. God pursues his unfaithful church and makes them his bride. He adorns his his bride. That's the, 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 the picture of marriage. A husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, one. No longer two, but one. That's why at the end of marriage services you see that, that, that great line, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder, in the, in the King James Version. I love that. Um, or in the English, separate. You know, tear asunder has so much more oomph in it. Um, but I think here, here's, the, here's the picture, right? When, when we think about um, us being married to Christ, it is that we are now one with Christ. And if God has brought us to him and we are now married to him, what God has brought together, no one can separate. I mean, no one can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Famine, nakedness, the sword, the condemnation of your own spirit, nothing can separate you from Christ because God called you to be his bride and united him together. We now have fellowship, union with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it says God is faithful, it means that God is going to complete his work. Every time you see a marriage ceremony, you should be reminded that God is faithful. Every time, God is faithful. Because you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will complete his work. Isn't that a great picture? That we have fellowship with the Son. Us, sinners, wretches, have now been united with the Son of God. Lavished with and for all of Christ. I pray that we live like it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you that we have been called that we have been sustained, God, and we have been completed. That we, the church, is your bride. That we have been united with you. So, dear Father, I pray that people here understand that, that you are a God who is faithful. That you have called them to be your bride. And you will never, ever, ever forsake your bride. For what you have joined together, let no man separate. God, what you have joined together, let no man think that it's possible to separate. 
but let us walk, let us bask in the glory that we are the church of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.